With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Trackside at Daytona here in 2020. Thank you very much for downloading this episode and joining us here. Of course, I'm Ryan Marine, John DeGeese, and Dan Lloyd. Joining me as we wrap up really our first full day here at Daytona International Speedway. Not a whole lot in terms of track activity. Ferrari Challenge was on track today, as was Michelin Pilot Challenge, which I'll talk about briefly here in a little while. But, John, it is an interesting vibe, a different vibe certainly than I've experienced in my time at Daytona. And I think you would agree, and maybe it stems from the fact that we simply don't have as many cars and drivers around to talk to and talk about as we have in years past. Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. Um, this weekend we see a record low 38 car entry for the Rolex 24 at Daytona. It, I don't think it really sort of sunk in until we arrived at the track, seeing some empty garages. Um, the class champions from last year were actually awarded additional garage space in order to sort of fill the main garages. And when the roar qualifying was um, sort of determined, I think three or four years ago, it was kind of a hot commodity to try to get the premium garage spaces and make sure you weren't out in the the, the boondocks in the far end of the pit, pit, um, garage area, and no cars are even over there. And I think it sort of shows what the state of this series is in right now. Unfortunately, we have a really great quality field, I, I'd have to say, but we're definitely lacking some entries um, for a number of reasons. And I'd say that the quality is one reason I don't feel quite as doom and gloom about the situation as we see it as, as perhaps others do. One other thing is you look at the cars that are here, and this is pretty much, with a few exceptions, what we're going to see for the bulk of the IMSA season. And, and if you're looking at a full season entry number, it's pretty good. Um, and, and those races tend to be entertaining. So while this isn't the Daytona that we're used to, I think largely you can point to the fact that European entries haven't shown up in the numbers that we've come to expect. And I know that that's something that, that IMSA has tried to prioritize in the past. They've tried to incentivize in the past. But for whatever reason, it, it hasn't taken hold. And Dan, I know you've talked to some European teams about potential of coming to the States and trying to run in a race like this. There's interest, but clearly the hurdles are a bit too intimidating to clear. Yeah, there, there are so many things that, that need to come together for a European team for this kind of program to work out. And we, we speak to European teams sort of at the latter stages of a year, and they always, they always th say, oh, we'd like to do Daytona. It's always in our minds, but whether or not it comes to fruition is another thing. There's so many factors involved. Um, as you were saying... European teams perhaps staying away from the race of the ones that have turned up Grasser Racing being being the main one that has actually stationed itself in America with a full, with a full season program um, so it, it's not just a one-off entry for them so um, th there is still plenty of interest um, I, I think the LMP2 class well I hope the LMP2 class can benefit from from the bronze driver mandate we could could see some obviously Henrik Hedman has been attracted over here he's a uh, an ardent European Le Mans series racer and, and coming in um, as uh, John, one of John's articles today said he, he's really excited by the prospect of having the, these rules in place. So what works for some people won't work for other people. Um, but certainly, uh, as you said, Ryan, on the, on the full season car count, it's, it's looking positive. Um, and I think we're, we're definitely ready, while the numbers are lower than previous years, we're definitely ready for another top-level international motor race here at Daytona, which it, it's always been. 
And I think that, too, we've talked about this on previous shows. It raises the question, might we see distance records? Might we see speed records? And, and I think that both of those things are, are realistic expectations, depending on how things play out. Weather is a big part of that, of course. And at least for one day, the weather was not ideal, John, because we were greeted by cold temperatures and some rain in the afternoon here on Wednesday at Daytona. Yeah, myself and Slade Perrins, who's the fourth member of our Sports Car 365 team this weekend, uh, we went on a track walk earlier th- earlier this morning, and it was really cold with the wind. Um, we got rain later in the afternoon during the Pilot Challenge uh, practice session. It was really uncharacteristic, but then... Yet again, looking back at some previous years where you've had better weather at the Roar and then come back for the race weekend and the weather deteriorates, it's almost a repeat of what we've seen in previous years in in that regard. Um, The good news is it should be warmer throughout the rest of the weekend. Rain currently isn't in the forecast. Um, Let's keep our fingers crossed about that. Hopefully we got everything out of the way today and uh, we could move forward for the, the rest of the weekend. How about some storylines from walking around the paddock? Now, admittedly, without WeatherTech action on track, there weren't as many of the personalities we've come to expect uh, who, who were hanging around and available that we've maybe seen in years past uh, at, at this stage in the weekend. And also just the fact there are simply fewer people here, as we talked about, uh, with fewer cars and entries. But both of you, I know, had chances to speak to members of the paddock. And Dan, we'll start with you. I know you had an interesting conversation with Godfrey Grasser. A lot of work went into making sure that that uh, one of their chassis was prepared and ready to go here this weekend. A lot more work than the Grasser Racing Team probably would have hoped to have had in the last uh, couple of weeks since the raw test. Um, to give a bit of background, what happened was uh, their number 11 car, which is racing in the Michelin Endurance Cup, uh, that had a, an accident on the final day of the raw. And on, on cold tyres, one of the drivers, uh, Steinschott Horse, went off and oversteered, hit the barriers at the kink, a nasty place to go off at any speed. Um, and, and that car, which in itself was new and had only done a handful of kilometres, was basically uh, rendered obsolete for the race and, and Grasser was left to, to scramble some kind of solution. Um, being a high-profile Lamborghini team that it is, uh, it was able to secure a chassis from Italy for the race. There was also a nice little bit of um, sportsmanship, I felt, from Paul Miller Racing, which which stepped in um, during the Raw. Um, so it, well, the sounds of it, what happened was um, Chris Ward, uh, who's the director of Lamborghini in North America, um, he, he came up to Paul Miller and said, you know, we might have a situation where you might need to lend a spare chassis because Paul Miller's got, he's only got three chassis, one more coming. Um, and even before he'd had a chance to ask the question, the team said, yeah, we'll, we'll, give, we'll give it to them. So Grasser's also got the benefit of having Paul Miller's spare chassis um, this weekend. And remember, Grasser's got three, is supporting three cars, so it probably needs that kind of backup. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was just really nice to see. And um, talking to Paul Miller Racing's team manager, Mitchell Simmons, um, he said that they, they actually gave Grasser the chassis before they knew how much they were going to be compensated. <laughs> so they, they, they were just so ready to, to help out a fellow Lamborghini team, which I thought was really nice. And um, you know, I'm sure Lamborghini will help them out as a, as a sort of reward for their, for their uh, efforts there. So um, I do quite like these stories. You do get them at the big, the big 24-hour races, these sort of stories of camaraderie, of human endeavor, of endurance racing. So um, nice to see it happen. And um, yeah, the Lamborghini teams seem all set now. 
That's a cool story for sure. How about you, John? I know you had a chance to talk to a lot of people. You had the notebook out earlier today as we're recording this. So what stood out to you from your trips around uh, the WeatherTech Championship paddock? Well, I think there's a lot of anticipation in the air about what could come later this week. And again, that's a big could. Um, We're still hearing a lot of talk about convergence and and DPI 2.0, hypercar. Um, there's talk in the air that there could potentially be an announcement or later this week. We don't know definitively. Um, I ran into Scott Atherton in the airport last night, which was quite interesting. Um, he's obviously been retired from IMSA president, but he's still an advisor on the IMSA board. He's acting as a liaison to the ACO in terms of those negotiations. And I found it kind of interesting he's here this weekend. Um, he has a home here in this area still, obviously, as well. But We'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, he gave, basically gave me no comment on what, if anything, we can expect between the ACO and IMSA to potentially announce this weekend. We know Gerard Naveau, the CEO of the WEC, is also coming. He usually does make this trip every year. I think last year he didn't because of a, of a back uh, issue. But um, things have sort of, uh, I'd say, been encouraging in the relations between the ACO and, and IMSA in recent months. There's been some great meetings Um, There's been a lot of confidence on the side of the ACO. I know when we were here at the Roar, the the vibe wasn't exactly the same, you know, from the IMSA side of the the paddock, especially as the regulations for DPI 2022 haven't been formalized yet. We were sort of expecting them to come around this time. Um, I don't think we can expect anything technical to be announced this weekend, but maybe perhaps there could be some kind of handshake deal where there's some kind of, you know, agreement that could be made that would see DPI and hypercar racing together under a BOP system. But um, we're still, that's still speculation. That's still, there's no confirmation that this will happen. But um, the vibe I'm getting is that we're close as we ever have been. And this would be a perfect stage to make that announcement happen. It's definitely the question that's on everyone's minds and and everyone's lips here this weekend. Will there be some direction about the future of prototype racing? Fingers crossed that we'll get that much-anticipated announcement at some point, but uh, at this point, it's uh, we're all kind of in the dark, so we'll have to see what uh, what comes. Did want to quickly mention we had Michigan Pinewood Challenge on track earlier today. They loaded in this morning, actually, and had to turn right around and get on track. They did so in wet conditions. We saw Jerome Bleekemolen set the fastest time of the GS runners in his Riley run Mercedes-AMG GT4. It was uh, ex-Indy Lights driver Ryan Norman who was fastest amongst the TCR group driving for Brian Herta Autosport. I talked to him briefly in the paddock, and he seems to be loving this. He told me, actually, that he got he was involved in a 15-driver shootout, effectively, for that seat. Uh, he got a call from Brian Herta after the Indy Lights season was over and invited to a test. He didn't realize what it was going to be for, but all of these other drivers were there. They all took their time in the car, and he went out uh, and apparently impressed Brian Herta because he gave him a call the next day and said, hey, you, you want to drive my car? And Ryan said, sure. So it sounds like he's still working on some open-wheel stuff, but really is enjoying this and, and having Gabby Chavez, another former open-wheel driver as a teammate, has been a big step up, a big help, I should say, in uh, Ryan's learning process to jumping in from open-wheel cars to uh, a front-wheel drive TCR car. So interesting conversation with him earlier today. But quickly, let's turn our attention to what to expect tomorrow. Everyone's been waiting to see what the uh, balance of power will be within the WeatherTech Championship subsequent to some of the BOP changes 
that have occurred after the roar before the 24. We'll start with Dan. What are you most looking forward to seeing on track tomorrow? Well, we've got a busy day on track tomorrow. We've got two daytime practice sessions. We've got a nighttime practice session, and we've also got qualifying. So really what I'm most looking forward to seeing is where the where the order stands really at the end of the day because we've got the best opportunity we've had so far to be able to really see what the pecking order is. Okay, we had the raw. The conditions were different then than what they are now. Um, Mazda was the dominant mark there, but the question will be, will Mazda be as dominant at the raw this week during uh, during the uh, the more representative race can uh, lead up to the race um, in these conditions? So uh, there's there's a lot to be measured there. We've got things like the, the new Corvette CAR coming in. How's that going to do in its first sort of proper race weekend session um so yeah i'm I'm just i I can't wait to see how it all plays out but it's such a tough day thursday at daytona for the teams because you've got to prepare for practice and and some teams have new drivers and drivers have switched cars and they've got to get used to the car in practice and then you go straight into qualifying and and it all happens very very quickly um so it's quite an intense day and it's just really interesting to see how the track action pans out how people react and so uh, yeah hopefully we'll get a better idea of where people stand yeah, oftentimes Thursday is almost busier than the race itself because of all the sessions, as Dan mentioned. You know, I think Friday we only have one practice session for the WeatherTech Championship, so that's very much a rest day for teams as they prepare for the big race. So um, definitely lots to look forward to tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll be back to uh, recap it all. Yeah, it is uh, very much a condensed schedule when you compare it to the 24 hours of Le Mans where it seems to just drag on. Here, you really have to get the work done in a relatively short amount of time, and tomorrow is going to be a critical day for so many of these teams to get prepared for the uh, the biggest race of their season, which happens to be the first race of the season. So a lot of excitement there. We will be back with another edition of our Double Stand Track side at Daytona uh, coming up tomorrow. So if you have any questions you would like us to answer, feel free to send those in with the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter, or you can leave them in the comments section on our SportsCar365 post that contains this podcast. We look forward to having some interaction with you folks throughout the course of the week. But for Dan and John, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on Double Stint. Double Stint.